oven if you find you want more missing witches and this strange magic in your life get our book we poured our heart and brains and minds and all the magic we could find into it we'd love to know what you think and new in the missing witches universe multiverse amy and i are hosting monthly circle gatherings over on patreon our patreon is full of all kinds of sweetness there's special audio there from guests and from amy and i and now that there's these monthly circles which we're also recording and sharing and they're just rad they're just fucking magical places full of magical people who love this project of feminist history and are coming together to bring their questions and their stories and their support it's a really powerful coven we feel really lucky to be there and we would really love for you to join us our patreon is pay what you can so whatever feels good for you we're not doing tiers or levels sign up and and you get all the goodness and we hope to hang out with you and share some magic soon that's patreon.com slash missing witches you aren't being a proper woman therefore you must be a witch you must be a witch welcome to the missing witches podcast welcome listeners welcome friends things might sound different today we're recording in a different house on the lake in the woods than usual house on the lake in the woods um, and we're actually sitting in person with guests, which is like a weirdly normal feeling, like weirdly perfect to just be back in the same air and in the water swimming and eating food together. Um, powerful, collaborative science and medicine coursing through our veins, keeping us safe. I feel really, really lucky to get to talk to scientists on a witch podcast today. And those of you listening will be maybe doing the full body nod of how appropriate that is for our project and our interests. Um, I'm going to let these beautiful, <laughs> still damp from the lake souls introduce themselves. But first I'll say the reason that we're here, or one of the infinite, I guess, reasons that we're here is this question that keeps coming up in conversations um, that we've been having in the podcast about kind of realizing that the history of colonialisms and the history of persecutions of women um, and the history of uh, kind of controlling indigenous knowledge becomes a history of dances outlawed. And why is it and what power is there in dance and music that is useful and healing to us to connect back into today? So that's my starting point. And yeah, I'm excited for you to meet these um, scientists at the table with me. We often ask people to introduce themselves because there's so much more you can tell us about yourselves than um, the quickly remembered bio that I can pull off the internet, if that's okay. Rebecca, would you start? Yeah, certainly. Thank you. It's it's really wonderful to be here in your beautiful lakeside world. Um, yeah, my name is Rebecca Barnstaple. Uh, I am a dance researcher. I think I identify more as a dancer than a scientist, but I do a lot of work bridging those worlds. Um, so I recently completed my PhD in dance studies and I'm doing a postdoc right now. But a lot of what drives my interest in this is, is really trying to enhance our understanding of how dance is a healing medicine and how we can bring that knowledge to people that can benefit from it and help us restore our knowledge of dance um, in a meaningful way. Mm. Yep, I'm excited. Full, full body yes, as, uh, as we often have started saying on this podcast. Um, Joey, tell us a bit about your work. All right. Um, my name is Joseph D'Souza. I'm a prof at York University in the Center for Vision Research. So... I've been trained as a vision motor neuroscientist, studying how the body and brain connect with behavior. And uh, I started working on how the brain learns um, things. And one of the most complex things is dance. And so I started studying that about a decade ago. And uh, now I hang out with people like Rebecca here and other people at uh, National Ballet School and where she works, the Le Grand Ballet, and we just try to understand these things together. Okay. Yeah. So you, we've been talking and swimming and eating, um, so you know a bit of my perspective on this. And there were several times when we were talking already 
um, where we were all kind of getting excited about things we wanted to talk about on the podcast. So wait, are there any things that right away you're like, let me tell you this thing, lady? <laughs> <laughs> I think the main thing that I would love to discuss together um I'm I'm very fortunate where I live that I'm I'm able to work sometimes uh, with the indigenous community where I live, and I find that it is so it, it's such a relief to be among people that recognize the medicine of dance, mm. and there are some cultures that have never lost that knowledge. Um, there are some people that I can work with that immediately say, we know dance is medicine, we know dance is powerful. And I think what I would be interested to explore maybe in this context is, you know, how did how did we go so far away from that mm. in Western culture that, you know, some, some places that I might go into that are, are more of, uh, like, we were talking about, like, capitalism and anti-capitalist mm perspectives but you know dance becomes a commodity where people you say the word dance and they imagine you know a performance on a stage with you know performers and an audience and that distance between sure and super classes right? super classes mm -hmm. but also the distance between like the, the bodies who are dancing oh, yeah, of course. who are the, the experts and the audience who's consuming the experience and and mm -hmm. when I talk about dance I really mean it as a lived art I talk mm -hmm. about it as like when I when I think about dancing I'm thinking about all of our bodies moving like our bodies dancing and participating in the creation and manifestation of that dance so it's right. not an object it's not something to watch it's something that we do um and i think that is where the, the the healing comes from but but in things that like when we write about this when we're talking about our research i often have to specify dance participation because if i just say dance people imagine Swan Lake. Right, watching a show, of course. I, it hadn't even occurred to me that people would take that perspective that, that watching the dance would be your perspective. Like, of course it has to be embodied, but how do you, um, like literally what are the gestures? Like how mm. do you, how do you start to give somebody dance that can be healing if, mm. if that isn't something that's available to them? Mm, that's a very good question. I, I think that a, a deeper question that, that I've been really interested in is, is what does it mean to dance? Like what, what, what is that? Mm. Because I think also just in this first misinterpretation that we talk about, whether dance is something that we watch and spectate or dance is something that we do, then if we enter into dance as the doing, like, what does it mean? What is a dance? Like, how do we, how do we understand what that is? And what is interesting is that anyone who witnesses something as a dance, they know it is dance, yeah. but trying to like describe and quantify that is, is difficult. So there are many, many different aspects to this question. Yeah. Um, but I think dance is fundamentally a shift in our awareness of space and time. So it's entering into consciousness about the temporality of a gesture mm. and the spatiality of the gesture and that can be accompanied by music it can be accompanied by a sense of an internal rhythm um but for me that kind of that captures just about all different aspects of dance and i also think a lot about dance as a form of world making mm. it's a way of entering into a world that is both created by and spoken of by the gestures that are involved in the dance and so when you work with Alzheimer's patients, mm. um, what kind of world making are they doing? <laughs> Is it connecting to a past world? Mm. You know, because I, I, from what I understood from your research that I saw, there really is like memory that comes back. Yeah. There's, there's a whole range of motion that comes back. Yeah, there, there's so many ways to work through dance. And I work in a number of different modalities. So if I'm working more as a dance therapist, it's really about creating space for the people I'm working with to engage with and develop their own movement material that is meaningful. Mm. So I'm not prescribing any kind of movement. Okay. Um, however, some circumstances that I work in where I'm working more in an, an adapted dance, or I'm really trying to help people with more um, like cognitive motor integration, I may be working in a way that I'm really thinking about how can I push or challenge their nervous system to help reintegrate aspects of them that you know are, are 
are they're losing function in some way. Right. So then it's more like creating scaffolded cognitive motor challenges for them but that's that's a different thing i always try to make space for people to find their own expression mm. because i think something is interesting is even if you're learning a choreography if i teach both of you the same choreography and we practice it a few times when we perform it you'll do it differently like right. you will inhabit it in your own way right can we think about um should I call you Joseph? Joe. Joe, for the context of the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, can we think about, can you talk about the trance research? Give us a bit of context for that. Yeah, so um, about, I, I mentioned how I got interested in dance. And, yeah. And part of it was I was the director for the interdisciplinary grad studies program at York. And I met this person um, who was in the, the program and she was, uh, or is, uh, practicing Sangoma. So through her looking for people to be on her committee, I chose to do this. Mm -hmm. And I've been interested in transfer something outside of the context of this podcast. Really, I want to get into this zone, this like, whatever it's called. What was it called right now? The, the, not trance, but... Uh, flow? The flow, yeah. Flow state? So, so the flow state. Yeah. She, she yeah. sent me high. Yeah, yeah, I can never say that person's name. But uh, I like that because I get into it when I play sports. Okay. So when I'm playing squash, yeah. I'm in this trance, this flow state for yeah. maybe like 15, 20 minutes of the game. And when I approached Rebecca, this other Rebecca, who's the Sangoma, she said she could get into it. And so I wanted to understand how her brain might get into it. Right. So we proposed to put her in the MRI machine and she picked some music and this music helps her get into trance so when she knew that she was in trance we could understand what her brain waves are looking at right you know this signal that we get we kind of compared it to when she's not in it now it's only one case study and that's what we say in the paper yeah, that you yeah. read but it's still the first paper that shows that there's this different pattern of brain activity mm. when she's in when she claims she's in the trance state right and i'd like to put her back in the scanner once this COVID world ends and our York scanner opens up. Yeah. And she's very interested in doing this. Cool. Yeah. And so what's the music like? Well, she picked music that was, uh, it's in the paper. I don't know exactly where it's from, but it's from South Africa. And it's some drum beat that she chose that she trained with for many years. Okay. And it helped her get into the trance state. Okay. Normally, I... normally when she would do it, she would be in her like basement drumming or other people drumming and then she would get into it okay. and she, usually she would be moving but one of the constraints of being in the MRI machine is you can't move mm. right so you can never dance in an MRI machine because then where we're trying to look in the brain this three millimeter cube moves and then mm. you can't track it right so she picked music that was similar to what she would use okay yeah. yeah because Amy wanted me to ask you about um how the brain what do we know about the brain's relationship to music and especially like minor or major chords? Is there something there beyond like an emotional response to the yeah. brain, like light up differently? The, so the brain has a map of tones. So there's this one little part where the sound comes through the ears. I'm already. It gets to decompose like a piano keyboard. Wow. Right. And this piano keyboard is in this one little small part of the brain and then it gets disseminated. But the, rest of that stuff is based on the training. So like if we put Rebecca in the scanner or me or you in the scanner, we'll have this tone map, but stuff after that is different. Huh. It's based on our experience throughout our whole life. Well, so if you're talk about world making, right? Yeah. Well, everyone's brain is a slightly different world map wow. of their own experiences. And the MRI machine just picks up in a really crude way. It's like using Google maps, but blurring it. Right, and you can get to the zones where you think there's language and there you think there's music, but to be able to say, well, um, the Sangoma's brain is very similar to your brain, but this is what trance is. We can't do that yet, okay. and we may never be able to. Right. But what is neat, and what I like as a vision motor neuroscientist, is you try to link the perception of the person to brain activity. And then you can say, well, this behavior might be related to this brain activity. And then you do the next study and the next study. And so 
if I get to do this as a line of experiments over 10 years, then I'll know more. Right. That this is just our first step. And it's, you have a baby and we have babies and this is the baby's first step. Yeah. yeah. Right? And the baby has to grow to maybe like two or three. Yeah. So that we can say something about what we see. Sure. It's just the first step. Yeah. Yeah. But this is, that. it's kind of makes it all the more fun then to be able to ask you like, what story does it tell you about? Or like, what questions does it make you want to ask for the next 10 steps? You know, yeah. cause it's wide well, totally, open. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, totally. So, so Rebecca knows this and, and you may have read some of this stuff. So if you go into an MRI machine or any other brain activity, if you just lay there, don't fall asleep and rest, it's called resting state. Yeah. And the resting state pattern in humans that are normal, like typically normal, no, like, missing limbs and stuff like this, um, they will have a pattern that's very stereotypical. If there's a person, like you mentioned, Alzheimer's, if you put them in this same scanner for six minutes, their brain activity will look a little different. Their resting state will look different. Mm. And so for the last 25, 30 years, people have been using this as a cheat because it's easy to do. It only takes 10, 15 minutes to run a person. You can run a really old person, 80, 90-year-old, and they're not scared because mm. it's only in 15 minutes out. Okay, right. Our, our experiment we ran was pretty long. Like, it was probably 30 or 40 minutes in total. The scan we did for Rebecca to get into trance was eight minutes. And But in typical experiments in MRIs where we're looking at perception of, say, objects or faces or something like that, might be two hours long. Right? It's a long experiment because yeah. you do lots of repeats of different things. Sure. And so if we wanted to look at the tone, even the mapping of the tones, which we could do, that takes about 20 minutes to get enough tones in there to map all those parts of the brain. Mm -hmm. So what I find this experiment is, is it's the first pass. Yeah. The next thing is in Rebecca's brain, when we scanned her, when she was in trance, her default brain activity looked different. So that tells me that there's a hint that there's some interaction between the default mode and trance. And that would be super cool. And that's where I would like to go as the next baby step. To like zone in on this little frontal brain area. And when Rebecca, when the Sangoma's in the scanner, yeah. we have her report that she's in trance and then try to see what happens yeah. in that area. Do you think there's a, there's a, a community of people listening or looking at your research that's like, well, yeah, the brain's different when it's in trance. Like, like, sure. well, like, cause there's people like you're saying, you know, indigenous cultures, they're like, yeah, healing is dance. Like, <laughs> yeah, trance is a different way of being in my brain. And, it, and like, so is it, is it about like kind of stitching Western sciences into other cultures to sort of like give validity to help them talk to each well, other? Well, so one, one easy way would be to, if we knew the brain circuits for trance, like we know this little area in the Sangoma's brain in the front leftal, left frontal cortex, you can access with uh, the surface of the cortex by putting electrical current in. Mm -hmm. So imagine we could do this and artificially put someone into a trance state mm -hmm. because we just put electrical current that's the size of a 9-volt battery on their brain. Right. Then that would be very healing because if we could do this in a person who wants to be healed, mm. they don't know how to get into trance themselves. Mm. Maybe like you said that they use dance a lot, but maybe this person's paralyzed. Right. Right. Then you could put a little current on the zone of their brain that we know that is part of trance. And because you activate it, it pulls you away from the default mode, it puts you in a trance and that would be healing. Yeah. So and that's a direct that, application. How would it be healing? Do you think? I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> well, I, I think that combined, yeah, yeah. I, I think to your question, um, the idea of, of combining this, this way of investigating some of these phenomena together with a more holistic view of what these things are and how they work. So like that together with some training or some guidance yeah. from someone could definitely be healing if, if the context was, you know, provided. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I find a lot of this, uh, since since I started doing more scientific based research, it's it's been a long road of like, well, yeah, we already know that. Do we have to like, do we have to prove these things? But it, to really understand something, to be specific about what the question is, can really help us to understand a phenomenon more deeply, mm -hmm. and then that can help with the development of applications 
or with translational things so that, you know, some of these ideas that are very outside of mainstream medicine may eventually be accepted or added to what we know because we're able to translate something about the mechanics of how they work. Yeah, I want to know so much more. I mean, I I think also it changes the culture, right? Like, it it makes cracks in the way that we understand medicine in the brain if we can sort of prove it in one language that doesn't have access to it. But I think the one thing that to add to what we're talking about is if, if we're in a conversation like we are now, where you have two PhDs who are not medical doctors, but yeah. I've trained medical students that went through, and and you who are... I have a master's in communication. What, what you call <laughs> yourself, witch. right? Yeah. And, and, right? And so... You're definitely translating to me right now. And, but then sure. if there's something that you want to do, then we now have an avenue open mm-hmm. to do something. Just like when I met this Sangoma... I never met one before. I was intrigued. Yeah. I, I'm kind of skeptical when I was doing the experiment. And I was skeptical when I read her book. And and I'm still skeptical. Right? Yeah. But but I still am open to the idea of seeing. Yeah. Right? And and there may be something that we talk about in the future or in the next ten minutes. Yeah. That might click in my brain right. that then I want to look at and pursue. So well, it's just like this discussion. Yeah, I, I think it's conversation. I think yeah. that's so you're yeah. so accurate that that's yeah. in that's what sciences are in some way, yeah. right? The practices of conversation yeah. mm-hmm. and exchange. Well, something that you're reminding me of, Joe, when you say that is that when I became interested in using like brain sciences with dance, it wasn't only to understand what's happening with dance. But it was to understand like what happens in dance that can help us to understand the brain differently or to understand consciousness differently. And this is the same thing. It's not just to understand trance, but the fact that we see there's something different going on in her brain when she felt that she was in a trance state that could not be explained by anything else. She's getting the same input. So there's no other reason for this change. You know, if we work back the other way, what can that tell us about an altered state of consciousness. So not just understanding the phenomena of trance or dance or, you know, a healing aspect, but we know so little about consciousness. We know so little about the brain. That's what got me really excited about it is when I first started learning this stuff, it was like, well, we know how this works. We have no idea what this does. We don't know what these things do. (laughs) We have this phenomena. We don't know what it is. It's so exciting that there's so much we don't know. And at the same time, there's tons we have learned, especially over the last like 20, 30 years. Yeah. What were some moments in your sort of introduction to that world of brain science coming from the perspective of Dan science that you were like, this is magical for lack of a better word? I, or, or because that's the best word. I mean, I like I, ma- magical is a great word. <laughs> I, I think when I understood how much of the, the brain and nervous system are about... Uh, controlling but also understanding and predicting movement and this is so much about what what like dance is an exploration of that so I I think of dance as an exploration of what it is possible for us to do with our human bodies Mm -hmm. um, and with our human awareness and that's what the brain does too so like there's there's so much overlap there that was something I got really really um, excited about are you familiar with, um, you must be, Anna Halpern's yes. work on dance? I want to think about, um, I want to hear you think more about dance and healing. Hmm. Okay. I could say something about, like, my own interest in that, like how that started. Yeah, I would love that. So, so Give us an origin story. I'll give you an Super origin hero. story. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I've danced all my life. I mean, I danced from when I was a kid. I moved away from it a bit when I was in high school um, and then like when I was in university I got really into the rave scene I felt like some magical stuff in that in that space Um, and then when I was a little bit older I discovered Argentine tango and I went very deep into Argentine tango but it dance has always to me brought me into these deeper places and um, brought me into realizing things about myself, about the world, about reality, about relationships, things that had, you know, maybe from a superficial perspective, very little to do with the dance. Um, and I think that's the case for many people. 
Um, and when I moved back to Montreal in my late 20s, early 30s, I was going to Studio 303 a lot. Yeah. I know you probably... I have seen some shows there, yeah. Yeah, but Studio 303 is a great place. Um, there's so much of this in Montreal for uh, creating a space for people to engage in dance and movement exploration and to study with like really masters of, of various kinds of movements. And I had many moments when I was there that I was like, this, this is my church. Mm. This is my place mm. of learning. This is my place of acquiring like sacred knowledge. Mm. And, uh, during like my, my, my training, which I was probably there for like 10 years, I realized more and more that what I wanted to do was to master as much of this as I could for myself and then bring this knowledge to people who were not dancers, who had not had these kinds of experiences, um, because I, I felt the healing mm. in it. So that was part of it. Um, and around the same time, I also started returning to the town where I grew up. I started going to powwow. And that was another place I really felt the potency of, of movement and of dance in communicating something that goes really beyond the movement that we see like the movement is gesturing towards much more can you talk about powwow a little bit we've had some of these conversations in our coven group about um you know given the sort of extreme uh agony right now i'm feeling bodies coming to the to the light like hearing these stories that we knew but it's real they're digging up unmarked graves in mm. front of schools like it's something that's really real and really visceral and people are like mourning, but also really uh, electrified. Like how to, how do I contribute? How do I, how do I become involved in a community? How do I support? How do I lend my labor and my resources in a way that's useful and meaningful? And one conversation that came up was like, how do I just go and be there? And mm. people were talking about powwow. Um, yeah. But if someone's never been, mm -hmm. what, what, it, what is it like? What do you experience? How can you, how can, what do you look for? How can you be a part of healing in that space? Mm. I don't know if this is the case with powwows everywhere, but I will speak about the powwow in, in the town where I am. Sure, and with the huge caveat. You're with not the huge indigenous. Caveat, I'm not I'm asking not you to indigenous. translate it yeah. for it, but just your own experience going <laughs> as a, someone who loved it. Your, your host can see me as someone who's like certainly not indigenous, but um, I, I, I live in an area that has deep indigenous roots and a strong local indigenous community. And I think in 2007... I felt drawn to attend the local powwow, yeah. um, and this is in uh, this is in Midland, Ontario, and it's the Georgian Bay Native Friendship Center powwow. And I love this powwow. I have attended a couple others since, and I think this powwow is a bit special. It's very small. Okay. It is not. Um, it is not a competitive powwow. There's a little. There's an aspect of that, but I've seen much more competitive powwows. This is this is a very community powwow. Yeah. Um, and at the time I just showed up with very like open stance yeah. of like, what, what is this? I'm here. And I just wanted to, to be there in whatever capacity felt right. Uh, it is amazing the feeling I experienced as soon as I got there. There's the smell of uh, sweet grass and sage and cedar. Mm. Um, the air is just like full of this smoke. And I, I don't know, I, I get this sense sometimes when I'm in the presence of spirit, I feel like my vision is moving down and towards the back of my head and mm. like into the space around me. And I just felt that so strongly. Mm. Um, I felt immediately that I should go put on a skirt, and I did. Um, nobody told me to. And I remember later an elder came up to me and said, who told you to put on a skirt? And I said, no one. I just felt like I should. I was like, hmm. <laughs> um, but the cool thing about this powwow is it's actually pretty clear. There are moments where there are intertribal dances, and the there's an MC. I think there's an MC at every powwow. And when there's an intertribal, it was said, you know, very specifically, like, anyone can dance. Like, come into the circle if you want to, if you feel to. And it was open for everyone in the community. So it was really clear like when and how you could join. And I found just by watching and being present, I understood the movement vocabulary and mm. I just went into it. Mm. But you can feel it. Like I so felt it. Like going into the powwow circle was such a powerful experience. 
And I learned somewhere afterwards, I, I read this, so I do not know how accurate this is, but something about the word powwow means we dream together. Mm. And I really felt the sense of entering like a, an, an altered space that was shared. So I, I, for me, it was a transformative, magical, amazing experience. I highly recommend if you have a powwow, you can attend, just attend in, in humbleness and with an open heart and you may feel led to like how you can can share that experience. I would love to hear what you think, Joe, about um, uh, the brain in a dream space when awake. You know, uh, the, when she said uh, being in the presence of spirit makes her feel like her awareness moves back and into the space around mm -hmm. her. Like I really have had that feeling of being like out of my super ego brain and maybe into my body and then into the lake or into mm -hmm. with other people. Um, from your perspective, can you think out loud about that? Yeah, totally. Yeah, um, she she showed me where the powwow is in one of the places in near Midland. Which is that place? It's across. It's across. It's across from Saint Saint Marie among the Hurons, which yeah. is like a historic site that was a Jesuit and uh, they say Huron, but it was a, a shared village. Yeah, and when when she felt like she was moving to the back of her brain and there's parts of the brain where neurologists and neuroscientists and um, the neurosurgeons would stimulate a person when their brain is open for surgery mm. and there's a part in the parietal cortex that we talk about in the paper that if you stimulate you can have the feeling of being out of your body mm. and so what could happen is when this chant the, the powers come happening the drumming that's going on when that made her feel like that, maybe that brain activity increased compared to everything else and it had the shift. Right. And then maybe it, it gets more activated and then you would shift even further. So if you said you're shifting out of your body to the back and then into the water, then it could just be different levels of activity. Right. Nobody knows because typically it's only ever done during surgery. Right. And the people report that they leave their body they're still awake but they leave their body and they see the surgery suite mm. right and so this is what i speculate right we'll never know i've never felt out of my body yet in my life uh but i hope to one day it would be cool yeah. I, i'm intrigued at this trance altered consciousness states it's right. great yeah, but i haven't experienced it yet and we were we were talking before we started recording about um studies using um I can't remember the word besides magic mushrooms. <laughs> I want it to sound Psilocybin. Psychotropics. Psychotropics. Psilocybin being one of, yeah, one yeah, of many. One of the many. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, in, in research on that, you know, people say a lot of the research that I was reading about is really focused on end of life and death anxiety and helping people process death anxiety. Um, that, you know, with a proper guide and going through that experience that you could, you experience maybe the, what people describe as the circle of life and death and that it, mm -hmm. it carries less fear. Um, what does that look like in that brain? Do we yeah, know? So, no, nobody no. knows, but people do know um, how the brain looks with using fMRI, just the same technique as we did uh, while they are on magic mushrooms. Okay. So these studies have been done in the U S there was a paper published maybe a decade ago in PNAS, and they show different states. So we talked about this resting state, where if it's just your normal person, just mm -hmm. imagining your eyes are closed and you're just wandering through your thoughts, you'd have this brain activity. If you're on psilocybin, it's slightly shifted. Okay. So that means there's different brain networks being activated and turned down. And so it's different than that. And that's all I remember in the study. And meditation, meditation state? Do you know meditation, I don't know much no. about. We've, we've worked in it a little bit in the lab with uh, one study on problem gamblers and trying to get them to shift away from gambling okay. um, over a 10-week study that's uh, in, uh, in a preprint. Uh, but yeah, not much other than putting EG caps on the surface of the brain and looking at their activity. And we see that it shifts a little bit in this alpha domain a little stronger. Okay. And I've looked at like the expert, what do you call those super great experts? The Buddhist monks yeah. who are 
expert practiced in it, they have this sort of shift right. as well. So I think it's just meditation would be your training your brain to stay in a certain state. And if you use a technique to measure that state, you would see a shift compared to your baseline. Right. Or like a, an expert, if I was an expert, I've only done it for maybe a few years, this meditating, but not seriously. I took the training with these people in 20, or no, 2000 and like... 15 or something like that for the 10 weeks and I felt it helped me um, my brain activity shifted a little bit mm. in this alpha domain but I didn't continue it mm. I, I only would do it sometimes when I'm walking mm. so so I think it, it it is ways that people can the, the kind of I think about all these kind of alternate things if you use it to shift your body from an activated state to a resting state, then it's good because it reduces your stress. Right. And if you do that, it's going to help you live well. And that's all I think about, okay. that these things help me. Yeah. And I'm selfish this way. I'm trying to learn <laughs> right. to like live longer. Yeah. And that's what I hope to do. And so these things have helped me. Dance has helped me. Mm. Um, the meditation study we did helped me. And, and this trance thing... I hope to learn more, mm. but I think it takes t tons of training. Yeah. Like our, our subject, she was over 20 years of uh, practicing. Uh, I, I think that word you said is like so key though. So I want to say it again before I forget, but like shift, I think that mm. like you asked, like, what is it? Mm -hmm. I think that's what it is. Mm -hmm. It's like, it, it's, it's using something to shift your awareness and, and dance is a really good example of this because you're, you're taking something like in the Parkinson's work, I often think about this. You're sometimes taking a really quotidian movement, but you're you're suddenly aware of the temporal aspect or the spatial aspect, and it's a shift in your awareness of how you're engaged in that movement. Mm -hmm. um, and that shift, I think, is is the healing aspect. Yeah, we we watched videos in that conference that I attended that you spoke at, where um, because the music was playing the person walking around the circle gained more ease of movement. Yeah. Because of the beat, because of the yeah. music. Um, fuck, that's so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, that's so awesome. And it's so simple. It's so simple. It's yeah. so simple. And it's, yeah. and it's free. Yeah. It's free, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You need a speaker or a pod in your ears, but... Yeah, yeah but, but there's... pretty much free, yeah. Yeah, it's free. I mean, that's that's, you know... I I am sure so many of us have had this experience of watching a loved one suffer, and I watched my grandfather, um, you know, decline with Parkinson's, which is such a body prison experience, mm -hmm. you know. So, and it, it was really impactful because I was it, it would be impactful at any age, but I was a kid yeah. at the right age to mm -hmm. be really sort of terrified mm -hmm. by this idea of being trapped in your body, and knowing that his mind was so active that mm -hmm. he you know, very slowly would t tell us that he was acting out Shakespeare in his mind. Wow. You know, he had whole plays memorized because that was just who he was. So he was still living this vivid life, but he couldn't move, you know? So to think about this idea or suggestion or like faintest hope idea that there are parts of our brains that we're not using. Maybe we've forgotten, hmm. you know, it's all, it's, there's, there's maps in there. There's worlds in there mm -hmm. that, that could be used differently. Well, I think also so much activity is is connections. Like Joe was talking about the default mode network. It's it's network based, so it's connections between brain areas, and all of that is rhythmic. This is you asked me what kinds of things excited me. Yeah, I think when I started learning about um, like communication through coherence and this idea, we have all these different frequencies that are happening all the time. Like the brain is not like in an off or on state, mm -hmm. you know, even when you're sleeping, there's all kinds of electrical activity at different harmonics and that there are concordances and communications here. And I think one of the things that people are working to understand is how does something like music or like uh, tuning into a beat or rhythm affect the inherent rhythms of the brain and then how can that go on to change or support something like motor behavior right because when we hear music are we choosing to dance or is there a part of the body that's choosing it on its own there, there's been some interesting recent research uh, on that there's a, a place in oh it's, i think it might be in 
in Oslo, but the Ritmo Institute, I just read someone's thesis earlier this year, and uh, she was looking at micro movements that happen right. in response to movement to, to music. So like there might be a sense that, you know, maybe we cannot help but respond to music. Um, a researcher I really like too is Tukhamsi Fitch, okay. uh, who does language research. Um, he also does primate research, but he writes a lot about music and language and um, he has a really nice paper about uh, rhythm and groove and the idea that, you know, it's, it's, it's really only in Western culture that we have this idea that, you know, music is something that you listen to and then dance is a separate thing. Like many cultures, music and dance is the same word. Oh. And it's there's much more consciousness that you, you have to dance to make the music. Like if you're doing full body drumming, you know, it's, it's not like this, you know, very constrained uh movement but like you know you, you you move to make the music and the music makes the movement and it's much more of a of a piece entirely with itself rather right. than separated domains so speaking of separated domains I, I i've always wanted to ask somebody with your expertise about this idea like um, and maybe I've read like pop science about this or something, but and and my parents are psychologists, so I get sort of filtered mm -hmm. conversations. But that the idea of the brain has changed or is changing, that we sort of have an understanding about it, the way that it's distributed through the nervous system, the way thinking happens even in different parts of the body somehow. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you No, not really. Like the the brain, like the way it's set up mm -hmm. is very like ordered mm. it's, it's slightly different in all of us and then I, I mentioned our experiences change that kind of yeah. default brain that you're born with and then all your experiences you have all the time so meeting you today has changed my brain wow. because now I know you I know your voice I know your face and there's somewhere in my visual circuit has now put your features together and now I know you. I put it with your name and all the experiences yeah. that you let us have today. Mm. And, and that is a change, right? And how this makes me act in the future is what is cool to predict, right? right? Like this, this a priori kind of map of experiences that you continually have, Yeah, that is always changing. And that's how these things that we do in our lives change us. And if you're, Rebecca likes this word, maladaptive and adaptive, <laughs> right? And, and if you do something that is adaptive for you, then it's going to help you move further into the future right. and live longer. Maladaptive would be something that is bad for your brain, mm. that would slow down your life. Right. Yeah. right? And so it's, it's really tricky. Yeah. I want to say something to you about your question, because yeah. it's something that... I, I don't know, and I don't know as much as Joe does, but as, as much as I have learned, I haven't seen anything to contradict this idea, but, you know, I said there's so much we don't know. Yeah. I mean, if we get into talking about consciousness, and even we study the brain and we see different, you know, we can look at different aspects of it. We can look at blood oxygenation levels, or we can look at electrical activity. Uh, we assume that consciousness is an epiphenomenon of, of the brain. There's something that's produced by the brain. Right. But we don't know that. We see that there are changes but I mean, are we participating in something that is like, you know, maybe conscious is something like that we swim in like water and what we're picking up is like the way that we interact with something that we have no idea about. Right. Like we don't know what we don't know. We can only look at these biological signals, but we, we're trying to read a book that we don't know what the book is about. Even. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm reading, I'm staying in the trouble. It's Don, Donna Haraway, Cyber Manifesto, Donna Haraway my favorite feminist theorists of all time and she's really like invested in this idea and I'm totally lit up by it of like we're in a time of uh you know the the edge of the world the edge of the end of the world climate crisis you know and there's these like um discourses of like well technocrats will save us or something like this you know or or it's all over anyway and we're all fucked and then there's this like body of research and scientists and, and art practitioners and people saying, well, right here where we are, we're starting to understand how deeply connected we are with the bacteria all around us, mm -hmm. with the, like, the very livingness of it all, you know? And so staying in this moment to start to understand what we don't know, mm -hmm. we don't know, and what the 
what the emergences are of this sort of living interconnection. Um, so that brings me back to Anna Halperin. So she does this piece that um, we talked about in an episode once where there was a, there was a serial killer and kind of actively working in this area of San Francisco around this mountain. And um, she brought this idea, um, very much inspired by the Sundance and the powwow that she had studied in, of bringing together a community of people. And they they did this sort of like two day long collective dance in the mountain, circles and circles and circles and circles, and, and then sleeping in circles, like mm-hmm. out alone in the dark, sleeping in circles. And then, like, through a tip that nobody ever traced, the serial killer was caught. Wow. You know, days later. Like, um, it's powerful. But this is like building community. Right. The community was built through this experience. Right. And then somebody within this experience might yeah. have given the hip. That's it. And is yeah, it, that's cool. it could be as simple as someone, you know, people stayed up that night sharing stories yeah. and someone realized they knew something yeah. that they hadn't considered was important. Or it could be something was in locked in somebody who didn't want to speak and mm-hmm. fear. And they, or, felt, and they felt empowered by this experience. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it, it goes back to me to this, for the very first thing from the beginning of like, why is the history of colonialism a history of dances outlawed? Mm. you know yeah well i think that dance is a really and music and tricks yeah but 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 dance uh for me is epistemological and ontological so like dance has knowledge Mm -hmm. and it has very deep knowledge about things powerful knowledge Mm -hmm. and um as you said like free knowledge Mm -hmm. in a way because it's also a way of engaging in our deepest relationships with with ourselves and the worlds we inhabit so i mean colonialism and capitalism is all about circumscribing these things how can we commodify things how can we how can we separate things how can we create objects that can be exchanged um like dance is, is is a very fluid economy it's very difficult to create knowledge objects out of it so it's and, and also dance is a way that people have held on to their power mm-hmm. and shared their power stories. So in, in, a, in a history of oppression, there's good reason to tamp out dance. Um, I'm very heartened by its return. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. So if you have a community of several thousand um, witches listening, <laughs> who feels like quite electrified by everything you've just said, <laughs> And often we end these episodes with asking, like, what is something we can do? We might phrase it differently to different practitioners. What is a, what is a ritual? What is a spell? What is a gesture? What oh. is a tone? What is something we can do for our brains? Mm-hmm. What is something we can do? I love this question. It's a great question. So I would share and say to become aware of how you are already dancing Mm. and to create space and time in your life when you can to observe the dance that is already occurring and to amplify it, whether that's in your own body or in your relationships, in your relationship to place, but give some space and time to become aware of the dance that is and allow it to come through you, allow it to manifest and allow that to be a source of power. That's so powerful and so beautiful. Thank you. I feel more aware of the ways that I'm dancing right now sitting here. I feel like I'm like taking dancerly breaths. Like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> we are dancing. Yeah, we're sort of just like waving. We just got out of the lake. You know, there's yeah. a bit of dance. Um, that's so powerful. Do, do you have an answer? Yeah, I would like to add to that. Um, the the people that are out there should teach younger people what they do. Mm. Because I have four kids and I teach them almost everything I do. And they know a lot about the brain as little kids. And I think teaching the dance to children mm. that are willing to listen is a way to keep it going. Mm. Right? So that it can't be stamped up. And and your your other witchy ways, whatever they are. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. and and maybe think about how what you do 
whatever your practice is, can be considered as a dance mm -hmm. and maybe allow that to, 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 to bring some other powers into it mm -hmm. and, and share it. And to share that, I think is wonderful. Mm -hmm. yeah, sharing is so important. I want my kids to learn more of this stuff. Yeah, me too. I'm going to go do a dance routine with my kid now. Unless you have any last parting thoughts. Thanks for having Let's us on your podcast. Yeah, I woke up this morning and I was dreading driving, and this is very good. <laughs> it was okay. <laughs> yeah, it was worth the drive to <laughs> yeah. the mountains. <laughs> Th thank you, thank you for sharing yeah. sharing your magical world with yeah. us. Oh, yeah, it's great. It's been great. Thank you for being here. You're both just so wise and kind <laughs> and delightful for sharing this with us, and for being willing to go on a witch podcast to begin with. Although I don't think Joe knew it was. But <laughs> no, I knew. Okay. I knew it was. I, yeah, I, 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 I tried. Tell me. I just didn't know when and where and what time and anything. I did Sunday. my best. Yeah. Translational. Yeah. It was difficult. Yeah. Right. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you both yeah. for being here. Thank and, we'll, you. and I'll come back again. Great. Oh, good. Yeah, we have, come back again. We will have follow-up questions. Yes, for awesome. sure. Yes. Listeners, if you have follow-up questions about the brain, about trance states, about dance, about healing, um, about the lake in the summertime. Um, mm -hmm. Send all your questions. Mm -hmm. We love to hear from you. Um, Missingwitches at gmail.com. And we love you. And we'll see you soon. That was so fun. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> that was really yeah. fun. I loved it. And my bum isn't sore on the chair. <laughs> oh, okay, good. I thought I would be. That's the, that's the tight. magic joke. Yeah. yeah, that's the magic <laughs> dancing. Wow. That's the magic right, lake. So. You must be a witch.